0: Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 55 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Now, today, in celebration of the Lunar New Year, or Losar in Tibetan, I am introducing a new spin-off podcast of Everyday Buddhism called Where the Light Meets, Buddhist and Christian Reflections and Practice. The podcast is a conversation among four friends, myself, Holly Rockwell, a spiritual director and an Ignatian prayer guide. Levi Shinyo Walbert Sensei, a Bright Dawn lay minister and a divinity and chaplaincy student, and Christopher Kakio Ross LeBeau Sensei, a Bright Dawn lay minister and sangha leader. We hope to officially launch the podcast within the next couple of weeks, and of course I will announce it on all the social media channels you follow us on. But without further delay, here is Where the Light Meets. Welcome to Where the Light Meets podcast. Join the conversation among four friends, a spiritual director, an Ignatian prayer guide, a Buddhist lay minister and divinity chaplaincy student, a lay minister and sangha leader, and me, a lay minister and your host. We'll talk about how you can enlighten your Buddhist practice through Christianity, or how you can enlighten your Christian practice through Buddhism. This is Where the Light Meets. Welcome to the very first episode of Where the Light Meets, a spin-off podcast, and also the 55th episode of Everyday Buddhism Making Everyday Better. So, what is Where the Light Meets all about? Well, the subtitle of the podcast is Buddhist Christian Buddhist and Christian Reflections and Practice. That sounds Pretty dry, doesn't it? Um, so, I'm going to try to lighten, pun intended, the explanation a bit by giving you the backstory of how this podcast came about. After more than two and a half years of doing everyday Buddhism, I kept thinking that another podcast was called for. It's like this little nagging, hmm, I got to do this. I got to do this and then "Ah, I can't do this. I don't have time for this, but it never, it never, never let up. Um, So I've learned in my life, if something like that never lets up, you just got to go with it. Even if it's some, if part of it seems illogical or dumb uh, you got to go. So that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. I wanted a podcast that was an interspiritual slash interfaith dialogue between four friends about the teachings, practice, and ritual of Christianity and Buddhism from an everyday perspective. That's why it's a spin-off of Everyday Buddhism. You know, the light of self-knowledge, the light of faith, the light that a spiritual foundation shines, it helps shine, it shines brightly from all wisdom traditions. So in this podcast myself, Wendy Shinyo Halet, Holly Rockwell, Levi Shinyo Walbert Sensei, and Christopher Kakio Ross Libo Sensei. Christopher, you have too many names. Um, we all meet to learn from each other and share how to discover and harness that light found in both Buddhist and Christian teachings for everyday reflection and everyday practice. My hope is that those who identify as Buddhists will give it a listen. And those who identify as Christian may catch a few episodes and let us know what you think. And the same goes for those who don't identify as any religion, but are seekers. And also for those who left a religion, who maybe has has carrying around a little cynicism, cynicism about religion, those people might find looking for a deeper connection to something they know exists, but they can't find it at their church. So we hope we can create a big inner spiritual community of listeners. So let's get right to it and introduce my co-host of this podcast. And we'll start with ladies first, Holly Rockwell.
1: Hi. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for uh, having me here um, I'm really excited about this. My own journey is, um, kind of models this in, in that both of those themes are sort of twined in my spiritual life. Um, I was raised Catholic, not, my parents weren't particularly devout, but we went to mass and kind of went through the motions. And like a lot of people, I fell away from all that when I was in my twenties and early thirties. And, um, What brought me back was um, I found uh, Buddhist meditation, Zen Buddhist meditation, and started doing that. I must have still had some sense. I must have been a seeker still. I must have had some sense that there was more than I had ever gotten in. I think I always was wanting something more than I ever got in church. Um, I got great gifts there, but something else, there was more. And so I started doing that and feeling a little conflicted, like a lot of, I think, Christians do. uh oh, am I worshiping something? You know that's not right. But um, I found meditation uh, pretty pretty rich, and then I found um, a Jesuit priest who's also a um, a roshi, uh, Robert Kennedy. I think he's down in New Jersey, and he has a book. Um, I think Zen Spirit, Christian Spirit, or something like that. And I read that, and I was like, oh, okay these can be together. So I started reading, I read him, I was meditating, I found Thomas Merton, I found some of the Christian mystics, and they, they brought me back, um, to feeling, I I did go back to, to Catholic church for a while, and then I stepped back out, because for a variety of reasons, which we don't need to get into at this moment, but, um, I find that the two things, um, those kind of practices and the buddhist sense of non-dualism and of oneness it so enhances my christian beliefs so that's i'd like to share that i'm really to me i was interested just because this sounded so fun to me and also because i think for for christians um god is way bigger than we don't have to worry about um exploring other avenues those other paths of spirituality or faith um and, and i just kind of want to at this time in our culture to say it, there needs to be communication around understanding one another and opening and not being so scared of um different practices so that's kind of me in a nutshell um,
0: um holly you want to tell just a little bit about your background we're going to have bios posted on our okay sure. <clears throat> on our page and show notes but if you could just do a little um well you could do your whole bio or an abbreviated bio <laughs> you know whatever your you know, moves highlights to do.
1: maybe yeah. so i um i was a lawyer and then i was a bookstore manager and then i wrote for a legal publisher and then i ended up um at a retreat house becoming an Ignatian prayer guide, which is a, a, a spiritual practice that the um, Saint Ignatius of Loyola developed. Uh, he was the founder of the Jesuits. In a million years, I would not have imagined that for myself, but as you say, sometimes you jump into things that um, don't make any sense. And, um, and from there, I, um, I decided to get certified as a spiritual director through the Hayden Institute and now I'm in uh, practice um, with estuary soul care with a partner. A partner and I set up uh, and, and estuary soul care is really about kind of what we're talking about, too. I mean, I I speak with people who have a particular faith, but I speak with a lot of people who are seeking or even people who go to some sort of services, but still feel like they need um, somebody walk alongside them as they try to look a little deeper. Yeah. So that's kind of my over and I'm a master naturalist. I always like, to. <laughs> I know <laughs> to me, that is, a, that is a part of my spirituality, a big part.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: so that's, that's my primary um, place. I find God, I say, or spirit or creator, whatever, whatever words we want to use.
0: Awesome. 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 What a awesome bio. And what an interesting bio you were hitting all the, like we didn't even talk about um earth based spirituality in my intro so i'm glad you kind of shoved that in there because i think <laughs> it's something we need to talk about in these days so thank you holly and it's a wonderful 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 bio and we we're, we're going to love talking with you and i hope our listeners are going to love you like i told these guys at the beginning you know i'm going to start running um uh, polls on fan favorites, and we're gonna see who everybody loves the most. Okay, um, <laughs> no, no trying to get that title now, you guys. All right. Uh, so I'm gonna introduce um, Levi. One good from the the woman to the youngest member of our crew, um, uh, Levi. Shinyo Walbert Sensei, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your bio and your, your sort of why for being here? Of course,
2: um, thanks for having me on and being a part of this. Um, my name is Levi Shinyo, Shinyo being my Dharma name, no relation to Wendy. Um, same English pronunciation, different Japanese characters. Um, let's see about myself. Um, so, I mean, I'm a minister with the Bright Dawn, a non-sectarian Buddhist organization. Uh, and I'm currently a seminary student looking towards um, some accreditation in chaplaincy and a master's in theology. Um, I'm in a theological seminary, meaning it is not one particular denomination, but it is run through the um, influence of the Moravian Church, which is um, a not terribly well-known group of Christians, but um, a very wonderful group, and I'm very happy to be there. So um Being able to be in seminary and learning about Christianity while also exploring my own Buddhist um, identity and practice uh, has really led me to uh, being very excited about this project and this podcast. Um, I think there's a lot of dialogue between Christianity and Buddhism that can be extremely helpful to both practices. Um, One of the things I'm focused on personally is understanding how religion is going to be playing in people's lives uh, in this modern world. We're seeing that there is a shift from religion to spirituality, being um, the same kinds of organizational structures, which for many, many years in America have held communities together, um, are not having the same amount of sway on people. Uh, People are moving away from organized congregations and systems and towards exploring their own personal spirituality, myself included. As wonderful as that is, and there's a lot of freedom and a lot of new things to be discovered, there's also a lot of pitfalls. And I think that um, we're going to need people uh, helping without forcing, I should say. So I, I'm really interested in hearing both the Buddhist and Christian responses to how we're dealing with this. And I think there's, um, we're, we're at a point where we can learn from each other a lot more. We're not as structured and a lot, uh, uh, not as restricted in our, Spiritual paths as maybe we once were, um, and that has a good side and a bad side. So I'm I'm excited to explore both of those um, about myself a little bit more. Uh, my background is in philosophy. I have my um, undergraduate uh, degree in that. Um, my biggest influences are in the Shin school of Buddhism, um, and in philosophy, would probably probably be process philosophy with Alfred North Whitehead and a number of other. uh, Yeah. I I don't know what else more to say. Um, I'm very excited to be on here. I'll hopefully be serving uh, a little bit as the fact checker and theology or Buddhology um, kind of person.
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, we could use that. I think so. Yeah. Good.
2: I'll do my best.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. A little fact check. I think, uh, you know, that's a it's very interesting point you brought up there, Levi, about the fact-checking and the, the theology and philosophy behind some of the, 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 the spiritual traditions, the religious traditions. You know, there's two ways of look looking at religion. I'm, right now, I'm enrolled in a uh, edX, Harvard uh, religious literacy course um, that's helping me a lot in seeing, viewing religions from two different perspectives. One from the perspective as a scholar or observer of religions, and one as a, somebody who has a devotional practice or understanding. And unfortunately, like everything in our culture, um, if because we're so interconnected and social media is like, you know, always on, um, people's devotional understandings of their own religious traditions end up being the most vocal and then it therefore becomes stereotypical of that religion when religion in itself if you look at it from an objective or scholarly view evolves with culture changes within the tradition it's not static and so therefore it can't have a stereotype, just like anything else. That you know, it's like Buddhist conceptualization. We can't, um, we can't put a label on it, as Reverend Gilme Sensei would say. Once we put a label on it, we've stopped its existence. You know, it it, it 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 can't be anything anymore. So I'm glad you brought that up because I do think we need to check ourselves if we get all devotionally crazy here, which maybe, maybe, maybe we're not going to do that, but who (laughs) knows? I know I'm capable of it. So, Uh, so that's my two cents, but thank you, Levi, for your introduction. It's wonderful. Uh, It's great to have your perspective from, from a a theology school, chaplaincy study. It's it's just, and I, and I know you're Mr. Philosophy because we're friends. So I I always love that part of you. So, On to our, I saved Christopher Kakio sensei for last because he may be a fan favorite. He's got a way about him. He's a charming guy. And so here you go, Christopher.
3: I thank you very much, Wendy Shindell-sensei. I appreciate it. Um, My journey, my journey to this podcast, um, ever since I was a young, literally a young child, I've always been a seeker. Uh, my family was uh, very Catholic. Matter of fact, I just found these these devotional cards from my grandmother. This was sent to her by her sister uh, in um, 1905. Wow. Uh, so um, our family, we had a lot of priests and nuns in the family, and we were very, uh, very Catholic. Um, but then my mother grew up during Vatican II. Um, and, She had a conflict with birth control in the church after being diagnosed with with MS. Um, And there became a schism in our family, so we kind of moved out. And at that point, we started going to other churches and we did Unitarian Universalist for a while. I was always still attracted to Catholicism and the ritual. Um, I remember uh, the Cathedral of um, the Madeline um, in Denver was one of my favorites. And then I moved to Salt Lake and we have one here. And I still go there from time to time to talk to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, So my journey started in Catholicism. Then it kind of moved through general Christianity. Um, And I remember once when I was like 19, I started to write a book called The Life of St. Elias. And it was going to be some story about spiritual insights that I thought I had at 19, uh, which I realized quickly weren't very many. But my seeking continued and then um, I fell in love with a young Latter-day Saint girl, a a Mormon, and I was introduced to um, Mormonism, to Latter-day Saints, um, and became part of their community. And in some ways it gave me a a surrogate family. um, And it gave me an opportunity for self-expression. And I ended up uh, going on a LDS mission for a couple of years and had some really (laughs) A challenging time engaging with um, what I would say um, the the intersection of everyday religion and the intersection of dogmatic religion and, and, and how we engage with those. And I met so many amazing, beautiful Christian people who in so many ways were so much more Christian than a lot of my companions, um, which always was kind of this constant... Um, struggle in my own mind. So I came home from my mission and probably about three or four years after I came home from my mission, I realized that this was not not speaking to me. This was not my path. This was not my way. Um, And from there, I moved into, again, earth-based religions, Native American spirituality, um, and at the same time, deep ecology. Um, And that brought me back to some dabbling I did with Buddhism early on in my life and I started exploring Buddhism again. But for many of us who come to Buddhism, we've touched Buddhism multiple times through our lives before we come home to Buddhism. Um, And that may be true of of other faith traditions also. Um, So I started to explore that. Then from there, I um, went into poetry and poetry and romantic love became my religion for a while. Then I started reading some of the mystics like Master Eichhardt, uh, Kabbalah. found Rumi and fell in love with Rumi, the perfect combination of like God and love, love poetry and God, um, and went down a path, uh, a journey with, uh, with Rumi. And more not the Rumi of Coleman Barks, but the Rumi, Rumi of Islam and mystical Islam, um, which was very rich. And I had some really powerful experiences. And yet there's something, again, I think what we're looking for, people call it love language, it comes to relationships, I think there is a a spirituality language, a language that resonates with us, that communicates with us those higher spiritual aspirations that we may have. And they really found those in Buddhism, and they found it in in Pure Land Buddhism initially. Part of my journey is this constant um, wrestling, dialogue, dance that I have being partially secular in my, my mind and being mythological and devotional in my heart. And, and having a dialogue between those two. And sometimes one wins out over the other and the other wins out over the other. But part of the journey is allowing them both to have that space to talk. And I've become a richer person because, because of that. And I think a much freer person in my exploration. Um, and, and I've really enjoyed that journey. Um, why do I think this podcast is, is important? I think this podcast is important because partially of what Levi said about people looking for their own spirituality. And a lot of times we tend to be looking for a spirituality um, individually. And I think that's an important starting point. Uh, One of the things we do at the Salt Lake Buddhist fellowship, which I'm a founder um, and practice leader of is we really focus on this idea of spiritual practice as community. And that, that important intersection. And I remember one of the challenges I had, uh, some of the good, good experiences I had in the Christian tradition and some of the challenging experiences all revolved around this idea of community. Um, and how did we create that community? One of the things that's unique about our, our sangha is that we have people who are atheists and we have people who believe in God. And we meet together. Because what you believe is yours. It's none of our business what you believe. What unites us as a community is our commitment to follow a certain way of life, a certain path. And Christian and Buddhist, Jew and Muslim, we can all do that same thing when we focus on those highest aspirations that we all have. And I believe that that's love. That's love for one another, love for the planet, love for uh, this creation, this experience that we're having as human beings, um, and that we can celebrate this this, this thing that we're all sharing. Uh, it reminds me of um, something Kurt Vonnegut said, um, talking about dying, and he says, "You know, in the end, I can think, lucky mud, lucky me, that I got to sit up and look around for a while. So that's uh, why I'm here. I'm really looking forward to the dialogue. I'm learning so much. And I'm having a, a a fun time even contemplating God again. Uh, and I'm free to do that. That's a beautiful thing, is that I have that freedom to contemplate God. You know, a lot of a lot of my Buddhist friends, they they're very atheist or secular and they go, that's stupid, that's dumb. Whatever. I can do whatever I want because it's my life and my journey. And it's beautiful to be here and to be able to, to do that.
0: Wow, thank you. Thank you, Christopher. I was going to try to loop you back to your, your background, um, mm. uh, but uh, y- you did give a little bit of it. You know, um, Did you want to talk more about, you know, you kind of did in your introduction, you're a poet and you, you founded the, the, the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. What, how many years ago was that?
3: Uh, it was going on nine years. Unbelievable. Um, and the thing that's really amazing is we've actually grown more during COVID and our inability to meet together. One of the yeah. things that, that's really powerful about our group is our in-person meetings. There's this sense of safety, this come as you are, and we really mean it. It's not just a tagline. Um, and, and even so, there's something about this message of community that really is something that I think a lot of us are longing for. And some of the best um, Christian churches I've been to are ones that focus on the community and not the dogma. Um, Because that's the everyday Buddhism, the everyday Christianity. That's where we meet. That's where we live. And I I think if we can start talking more about that, then we're going to start meeting the needs of of all the communities.
0: That's excellent. And I I was uh, reading something this morning, and honestly, I pick up so many different books when I'm reading in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to sift through and decide where did I get this uh, thought, uh, which book and I can't remember, but um, <clears throat> it was talking about, you know, the, the community that we call Sangha in, in Buddhism and uh, is more like the community that they call the body of Christ in Christianity. And I think that's something missing in in in, a, in the understanding of both Christians and Buddhists. Um, you know, the body of Christ is not, you know, everything is sort of symbolic and mythical. Um, you know, Christopher is our resident poet and storyteller, but I think the stories that we find in the Bible and the stories we find in the Mahayana sutras uh, of Buddhism. Uh, really circle around that more than I think we like to talk about in Buddhism. You know, I know I'm, I'm, I, as well as Levi and Christopher are probably on the same hundreds of different Buddhist groups in Facebook. And unfortunately, a lot of the discussion focuses around these minute little theological points that start arguments left and right not necessarily arguments but you know back and forth and and people get really uh i don't know they're so attached to their own perspective and point of view they that they that's all they're trying to do is 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 communicate their point of view and i rarely see anything about the heart the heart and you talked on touched on that when you (laughs) talked about love um and that and i think that's what you find in christianity that i have missed in Mm -hmm. buddhism uh, is that the body of christ or the church the people are the church you know well you hear that a lot in in catholicism as well uh and other christian churches so yes the 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 you know sangha sometimes you're your sangha is, is I think, a different and and something to be held up as 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 a as a, a, you know a symbol of what we could be as a Buddha sangha. But we don't always find that in Buddhist sanghas. I think we we find much more of a a, a rote ritual authoritarian sort of way of being. You know. Yeah, and, and I would
3: and I would agree. I would also agree too that the sangha is the body of the Buddha. Um, I right. really think that we can use this similar language to express, and I think the challenge is Western Buddhists, because they're dealing with uh, trauma. Because losing your religion, um, for whatever reason, still can be traumatic. Oh, it and is when traumatic. And yeah, when yeah. we see people's reactivity to just the word God, I had somebody say, don't use that word, don't use that word. I'm like, oh, God, 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 God. Um, it was in a bar, so it was appropriate. But the idea is that that they they do intersect. And there's something about thinking about the Sangha as the body of the Buddha. Um, it's Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching that Maitreya, the Buddha of love that is going to come, right. is probably not a person, but the Sangha. It is the community. And, and I think we're just afraid of those language, that language that reminds us of our trauma, that we run away from it. And I think it makes us poorer when we do that.
0: Yes, exactly. That, that's it. It's, it's that reactivity. You hit the nail on the head. It's the reactivity to the, I call it when I even talk. One of the reasons why I started this podcast is because when I talk about these subjects on my Everyday Buddhism podcast, because my Everyday Buddhism podcast, I'm quite aware that my audience, or I think I'm quite aware, it's hard to be aware of a, a big audience of who they are and what they really want. But I, I, I think I'm aware that they're mostly secular. And because of that, I, I when I bring up the word God, I usually say the G word. And if I bring up the word faith, I say the F word. And, I, and, and because I know, you know, or I'll say trigger warning, trigger warning, you know, it's like, uh, because I know, and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because it, it, I felt if it was missing in me, you know, At my age, through all the things I've been through, which I'll tell a little bit about my bio, it's gotta be missing a lot of other people too. I can't be the only one that feels this. I cannot, I know that's not true.
2: One thing that um, I wanted to point out too that on this discussion, um, a translation of Sangha, which I have always um, defaulted to, is that um, Sangha doesn't mean the community of Buddhists only, or any kind of Buddhist, it's the community of truth seekers. Um, So I think when you extend that to understand that really all of us, even people who want nothing to do with religion or spirituality, are truth seekers on their own way. Everyone's interested in the truth, Um, but many people go about it differently. So I think from at least the Buddhist perspective of it, um, walking into a church or a mosque or a temple, um, you're going to encounter a community of truth seekers. Uh, how they react maybe differently and how they express that seeking um, can be radically different. But I think going to the heart of it, uh, the Buddha Sangha of the the triple jam, uh, it exists everywhere. And um, it's, it's difficult to find it difficult to see it. But I think once you start looking um, it's far easier to notice.
0: I like that. And I think that's something we can adopt in the way we present this podcast, you know, since we're sort of feeling our way here is that, uh, um, this Buddha Sangha, uh it, you know, it, everyone's invited, and it is the body of Christ. It is the body of the Buddha, it is the body of the community that Titnan Han talks about and, and Christopher talks about, or the coming Buddha Maitreya. So I'm gonna give a little bit about my bio because I realized I was the only one that didn't. Um but uh um I've been a seeker since I've been, I think I've been a seeker since I've been a baby. I don't know. I, I mean, it's like my biggest memories are of religion. Uh, and I don't know why. It's like religious symbols, religious. And I grew up in a pretty non-religious family. Could be why. Um, I was always looking for something that wasn't there. Uh, but in fact, my mother was a symbol of faith. She did believe, and she was the only one in my family that did believe. My father was a scientist, it was bah humbug for him. And uh, my three brothers, of course, because they were brothers, they had to emulate my father, and everything was bah humbug for them. And there, so you know, I uh, I really was uh, 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 odd man out or odd woman out, if you will, in my family. But one of the things that you know that I, my earliest remembrances as I, it, it got into me. And whenever I saw um, representations like symbols, like crosses or whatever in any of my grandmothers or whatever family, it, it, it really touched me. And then my best friend, uh, Chrissy. Hi, Chrissy. Um, <laughs> hi, Chris. Um, I'm going to invite you to this podcast so you can hear about yourself. Um, she was Catholic. And she, well, she still is Catholic, but um, um, we lived in a very little town and there were, there was this one corner of the main street and there, each corner, there was a church. Okay. There was a Methodist church. There was a Protestant or community church, which was disciples of Christ. Okay. Uh, There was a Lutheran church and there was a Catholic church. My friend Chrissy was a Catholic my mother went to the Disciples of Christ, the the community church. So I would go. uh, I went to Sunday school. I went to Bible school. I was like the the devoutest little kid you could imagine. Um, And I found found community in like church camp and Bible school. And I, I really loved it all. I don't, I'm not sure really why I just was connected. But at the same time, my, I went to Catholic church with my little friend, Christy, and I was awestruck. It was the ritual. It was the liturgy that was not there in the community church. And it seemed like I had like got on a spaceship and went somewhere else. And I just loved it. And, you know, this was back, um, back in the day. Okay. It was in like, what, late fifties, early sixties. And there, the, the, the air was thick with incense and the robes were there and the swinging of the incense and the chanting and the pounding of the chest. And uh, it was, I was just transfixed. And I remember asking Chrissy's mother and father, if I could always go with them and not go with my mother. And they said, well, we wouldn't mind, but I think your mother would. So that sort of put an end to that. But, looping my mother back into it. One thing that I, my mother was a symbol of faith for me. She would, she would go to church and she, she would always talk to us about sickness and death in terms of like, don't worry, you know, Jesus and God, and you're, it was just a body and things like that. And I I followed that right along. And then when I was an early teen, of course, I became a rebel and said, I don't, uh, you know, I remember quoting to her that it was the, you know, this, uh, Christ- Christianity was the opiate of the masses. And I was like, I was practically insulting her. And so I rejected it. And then when I was in my late teens, I started suffering panic attacks, horrible panic attacks. And um, my mother graciously and gently led me back to church. And I remember she had the minister come to my house and the minister brought me uh, the New Testament. I still have it that he gave it to me. He brought me the New Testament, and um, he he started pointing out verses that had to do with anxiety. And I thought, oh wow, there's something in here that means something here. That maybe I'll, okay, I'll look at this. And then I got so into it at that point, I got I got all devout again, and I said, I want to get baptized. Well, I realized my mother was never baptized, and because she was scared of the water. And we were in the Disciples of Christ and there was a baptismal pool in the church, right? And you were you wore a white robe and the minister held you and plopped you down backwards and kept you under for a little while for just enough to feel like you were drowning and then brought you back up again. So I thought, okay, you know, mom, there's a baptism scheduled for Easter week and I'm going to get baptized. I want you to get baptized too and I'll be in the pool with you. So we did that, and it, it, the memory is profound for me because we were baptized together, and so she brought me back to faith, and even though she wasn't interested in discussing theology and she told me it was, you know, I don't, and it's over my head, blah, 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 um, she always had that faith. And so I have been looking for faith my whole life, did not know that. Um, I found Buddhism in my 20s after a spell of um, uh, Hare Krishna due to George Harrison um, and due, due to uh, running into a bunch of Hare Krishnas at the airport one, one day in Cleveland and um, we sat down reading the Bhagavad Gita and I was just in love with these guys too because they were you know they are just so devout and so carried away and I you know it's that when you see that it's sort of like when the Buddha went out and saw the uh, a monk and he saw that light. Right. And he said, Oh, I want that. Whatever that is. I want that. And so I've sort of always been touched by that. I want that. Uh, whatever that is. I want that. Um, I remember Honan had wrote a poem that he, Honan is the founder of um, uh, Jodoshu uh, uh, Pure Land Buddhism. And he wrote this poem that says, The moonlight shines into every hamlet in the land, but only those who gaze upon the moon can carry its radiance in the heart. The other thing he said that stuck out to me was, quote, Our everyday experience is fleeting, however wonderful or awful, yet at the same time, something endures, something eternal, something wonderful persists that lifts our life and i know i've always been looking for that and i i went through tibetan buddhism that ritual again got drew me in but then it then i got sick of it and then i went to bright dawn and i found pure land buddhism and i felt that faith again but again i never quit reading the christian mystics i never quit reading the Bible. I never quit reading Richard Rohr. I never quit reading um, many of the uh, Jesuits uh, that, are, or listening to podcasts. And today you can kind of listen to podcasts or go to any kind of church, thanks to the pandemic. So it's great. So that's a little bit about me. And I think I just want to wrap it up by saying it's that that I think that faith feeling is that feeling of love. It's that feeling of being accepted and and. Um, I think, I think Buddhists may say they're not looking for that, but uh, I'm wondering if they are.
2: I think that just are um, in Buddhism, I should say, um, the language is so different sometimes that those like me um, who are are converts to Buddhism, um, the language can be elusive. Um, for example, the the triple gem: the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Um the teacher, the teachings, and the community are at the heart of Buddhism. Um, but because we are talking about them differently, um, and we don't use the same words in Christianity um, often, uh, the ideas and concepts can get lost. Uh, the Sangha, the community is is a huge part of Buddhism. it is It is a community-based faith tradition and um, that entails love, and entails that compassion. That grace that comes from others. Um, I, I always think of um, the grace story in Buddhism is not when the Buddha got enlightened. It's not when the gods came down to him or gave him anything. It's when after rejecting uh, asceticism, uh, Siddhartha, the historical Buddha, you know, had, had left and a woman saw a starving man and gave him food. You know, that's the moment of grace in Buddhism. You know, that is the sharing of the community. And that And of, of that love and faith and compassion. And um, that, that's what I'd say upon that. The language can be different. And if we don't have the background in it, especially people not raised in a Buddhist community and a Buddhist culture, uh, it can be a little difficult. And I think that's um, being able to relate things back to Christianity as the point of this podcast, um, I think can do a lot in terms of elucidating some of the aspects of Buddhism that are... Um, not always put at the forefront in America.
3: You know, I also think too, uh, one of the great benefits of this kind of dialogue is that we think we know, like (laughs) we think we know what Buddhism is. We think we know what Christianity is, this monolithic thing that you can define. There is no Buddhism. There is Buddhisms. There is no Christianity. There's Christianities. And once we can start letting go and, and approach it with, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious. I don't know. And by, I think, sometimes being able to talk about maybe a different tradition, it can shed a light on our own tradition. We can start to see it in a way that we never really saw it before. Uh, we can see the richness of it. I think a lot of people who who leave the, the Christian tradition because of some trauma or some disbelief or the way they were raised, um, that view may be myopic. Mine was myopic for a long time about my faith tradition that I left when I left Christianity. Now I have such a greater appreciation for it than I ever did as a Christian, as a Buddhist. And there's also that great book out there, I can't think of the author right now, um, Buddhism made me a better
0: Christian.
3: You know, I mean, it's a great book. Well, you know what? Uh, Christianity has made me a better Buddhist. And we should be able to, to say those in both directions without having a hitch a in our voice uh, because, well, I can't say that. I can't say it. Well, you can say anything in your exploration of spirituality and what it means to be a human being. We are experiencing it. And I think that's one of the things I hope we talk about is the experience of being a christian the experience of being a buddhist and not get hung up in doctrinal points of view that as the Buddha said are nothing but a tangle and can create more suffering
0: amen that's absolutely well said hey holly i saw you getting in here are you want yeah, something? I wanted
1: to pop up just in general with community because it is a thing that and i so agree with you christopher there are christianity <laughs> you know, but it's such a common theme in the Christianities that I have experienced, community, and we talk about it, we talk about love your neighbor, we talk about serving, you know, we talk about fellowship, Um, and yet a lot of people feel lonely. Now Catholics aren't as big on fellowship, so people come in and out and like nip in, go to mass, nip right back out. Other, um, you know, Protestant denominations maybe have, you know, more focus on Coffee hour and so forth, but I think there's an existential loneliness and disconnectedness culturally, and so I think that's probably reflected in all of the um, all of the various spiritual paths and how do we what are the practices and the ways that we can take those teachings um, and let them because I think we all agree it's it 's all about love it's all about connection it's all about you know a, a sort of unified um consciousness or connection or kingdom and so what are the practices and what are the ways we can think about this that help lead to that and maybe sort of assuage some of that um that loneliness and that alienation no matter what your practice is you know i, no think, matter that's a, your spirituality.
3: I think that's a great point um our fellowship we have uh it's kind of funny we have a lot of people in recovery that will show up on a Sunday, not so much now, but before. And there were actually a few ladies who said, oh, I like your fellowship, but there's so many people in recovery as if though that's a bad thing. Um, and, and I think the people who come in recovery, they come from all kinds of faith traditions. They come because they feel safe. They feel accepted. They feel embraced. And, and I agree. I remember being Catholic and everybody's peace be with you in the pew. And they're leaving in the parking lot, cussing at each other. And that disconnect was so hilarious to me, even as a kid. Um, And I think people are longing for that. And I think we can learn from one another in our traditions that, like you said, that existential need and how we can can share that and how we can bring that to the forefront.
0: I agree. And I think both of your uh, emphasis on praxis or practices, what do, you know, we can talk about they think this and they think this, and this person thinks this, and this was wonderful. It made me feel good. But how do we use that? You know, how do we use that every day is very important. You as a spiritual director, Holly, I mean, that's kind of what you have to do. I think, Uh, I mean, that's part of your job description, right. Uh, To, to, to to do that. Um, uh, Though the three of us are all lay ministers with the bright dawn tradition and the layness of, our program was all about uh, it was it was done purposely instead of being uh, uh ministers of bright dawn uh we were given a mandate to be perpetual students so that we can be companions of those seeking spirituality so i think the layness of our mission statement from bright dawn i think drives us to continually want to reach out to 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 more people in a lot of different ways as spiritual friends not necessarily as uh, uh preachers you know <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or um, some sort of hierarchical teacher um, who's obtained the next level of enlightenment or whatever the heck. Um, so, so yeah, I, you know, in, in, and another thing I wanted to say, and it's, I don't know if it's necessarily related, but I'm throwing it in here anyway, is that um, our culture right now, and it's not something I'm saying that <laughs> we don't all know is been so divisive for so many years and i think it's we've reached the culmination in this past year um probably due to the pandemic and the stress it has on everyone um you know the 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 feeling of aloneness the feeling of fear the feeling of of like our whole life is not even what we thought it was um I think this it only emphasized the 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 divisiveness and the feeling of okay i 'm good here i 'm standing here, I think right here, I have the truth, and everyone else is another okay um and one of the ways that I think we can break down the otherness uh that this culture seems to embrace um due to I don't know, social media. I mean, we could put a lot of blame on a lot of different things. Um, But one of the things that we need to do in this podcast, I think, is to show how we are not others by how what we practice, how what we believe is just like what you believe in practice, whether or not we're using the same terminology.
2: One thing that um, before before we end, I wanted to say – I think there's an acknowledgement that uh, when we're having cross dialogue between Buddhism and Christianity, um, it is an acknowledgement of difference. Um, As much as I think that there's so much to talk about and so much positive uh, results by having this kind of interfaith dialogue, uh, there has to be essentially a, a time where we can say that there are differences and still be okay. That we can be a spiritual community who does not all agree. Uh, and I think throughout this, maybe as a little bit of a teaser for our next episode, um, the theory, as much as it can get in the way, can also be essential. Praxis is the application of theory in actual life. Um, if we're not clear on that, we can really fall into potholes in which um, both Christianity and Buddhism breaks down into something that is dead. Uh, and I think that's something we all want to avoid. You know, these are living practices. Um, so difference is okay, and uh, we're all a lot of different people, even just among all of us for, uh, and then the entire country, of the United States, is made up of uh, differences. The whole uh, ideology or concept of America as a melting pot has been very much over the years replaced with, uh, I think the new term I've heard is kind of a chili bowl. You know, we're all together. We all, all of our different parts form a unified whole, but they're still different. And that's okay. And that's a beauty. Um, if we're all, you know, kind of one homogenous thing, uh, we, we take all the beautiful colors of the rainbow and turn them into a dull gray. Um, I think the the one beautiful thing I'm, I'm looking forward to this is talking about the differences, um, and having a little bit of a bit of holy envy, um, towards the differences. There are things that Christianity has that Buddhism doesn't and maybe should consider and vice versa. There are things the Buddhists do that Christians can learn from. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to say that to, um, to to counterbalance. I'm happy playing the devil's advocate. I'm going to try not to be too annoying by it.
0: But, no, uh, bring bring it on, Levi. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, and you know, it's true, not just Christian traditions, too, because the Sufi tradition is one that I am a, a, a lover of. And I, you know, sometimes I, I'm envious that Buddhism doesn't have that similar language. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to talk about, the divine with Eros, you know, and it being completely um, okay could be actually valued. Um, as Ibn al Arabiya once said, um, supposedly, that to uh, understand the love of God, a man or a woman needs to fall in love because that's the closest you can understand of God's affection towards us. Um, and, and I have a little envy of that. You know, Buddhism gets a little. Um, overly equanimous sometimes especially being a love poet It's like come on people
0: yeah well you know the senbutsu gay is a Mm -hmm. love i think that's the love poem about the radiant face and and uh, dharmakara you know is is fell in love uh fell in love with Mm -hmm. the buddha and you know david brazier always says buddhism is caught not taught um, I think that's the same <laughs> as religion. All religion, caught, not taught. And I'm with you on the, you know, the, the you know, I li- I love to listen to, to Sufi music and Islamic music mm. because th- my heart just like explodes. It's like so, where <laughs> where is that, you know? And and I, although I love, I I do the listen, I chant the Heart Sutra every morning. It, There is this sort of rigidness that (laughs) doesn't have that explosion of uh, heart love, you know. So that goes back to Levi's point, and I think I love this point, is that yes they are different let's talk about what's different about them and in the in the talking about the difference of them maybe stir a little holy envy in in other people because they didn't even know those things existed because they had stereotypical opinions of what this was and what that was and since uh since uh levi will be our resident a devil's advocate or uh uh, uh, theology police or <laughs> philosophy police um, that would be good because he actually said I'm going to tease our next episode and he's going to be featured in the next episode that's kind of how we're going to do this each one was going to take sort of a theme and, and run it through and we're all going to respond but um, his his uh his the next episode is going to be why language matters. So that's going to sort of establish some goalposts for us as we uh, go forward.
1: And I just want to say how much I honor that because it's so easy for any of us to go awry. If nobody's pointing us back to the original teachings and, you know, the, the wisdom that has lasted all these years and, um, and saying, well, wait a minute, then, you know, I think we've all seen cults and weird sects and, places that are where somebody gets a notion and runs way over here. And so it's really good to say, well, wait a minute, how does that tie back to this? So glad to have Levi.
3: (laughs) And also too, it'll be interesting for us to uh, uncover our own uh, blind spots when it comes to our Buddhist tradition or our Christian traditions, where we um, actually think we know what we're talking about and we may be (laughs) misguided. (laughs) <laughs> I'm,
0: gonna, uh, I'm gonna love that I think yeah I think I think we have to be all up front and like wa- wave the white flag at ourselves when, when we mm-hmm. just caught ourselves in one of those things
2: I think okay. my ending point I'd like to say that I, I hope is um, encapsulation of everything I, I'm hoping this podcast will be is that both Buddhism and Christianity originally arose as a system of dialogue it is something where our beliefs our faith and our understanding of ourselves and our experience are consistently challenged. And out of that challenge comes growth. Um, If we are simply ready to um, say, I believe this and nothing else, you know, that's a dead religion. That's a dead faith tradition. You know, um, the growth and the questioning and um, you know, even sometimes if it can get um, nitpicky with theology and this or that, um, we have to have a theory to, to employ, uh, employ into praxis, um, and to be challenging that always, um, leads to growth and experience in everyday life. So, um, we can't have one without the other.
0: Wow. That, uh, what, a what an ending point, unless somebody else got something better. Amen. Hallelujah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That is just awesome. Thank you, Levi. Um, just, uh, just, uh, he's going to, I know he's going to keep us, uh, keep us going here. Thank goodness for him. Um, so that's about the end, I think of our intro podcast. You know, it's so exciting. A pod, we're doing a new podcast. Yay. It's so exciting. I mean, I've been doing one for two and a half years. I guess I still have the, oh, I want the new one again now. So, um, so I just want to share that, um, This is going to be a a, a podcast of its own, Where the Light Meets, which will be found in all the usual places. I will plug it like crazy on Everyday Buddhism for people who don't know about it. And like I... Uh, Intro at the beginning, the very next episode of Everyday Buddhism will in fact be this episode. So um, whether they like it or not, they're getting this. So then maybe they'll, they will hop over and, and, you know, we may share some Uh, I might share some on everyday Buddhism when I think it's uh, particularly appropriate uh, to do that, but uh, we're going to try to keep a, a pretty good schedule of podcasts here since there's four of us, uh, which will help because if one can't, one co-host can't make it, maybe the others can, and we can just keep going. And uh, I would like that. Um, So, We'll let everybody say their goodbyes. Hey, we, gotta, we should come up with a, a goodbye that's interspiritual. You guys got one? Maybe we have to think of that, huh? So, so we'll just say um, until next time, and, uh, uh, and we will meet in the light. That's it for this episode of Everyday Buddhism, episode 55. And I hope you enjoyed this introduction of the new podcast, Where the Light Meets. And hope you consider adding it to your subscriptions when it is officially launched. And don't forget that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported Everyday Sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Thursday evenings, 7.30 p.m., U.S. Eastern Time. And please consider supporting the efforts of this podcast and related groups by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to blogs, members-only podcasts, education series, a private Facebook group, and hopefully more to come. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better.